Welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Nick Opich of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis and psychedelics industries forward. This week, unfortunately, we do not have a full and regular episode of The Green Rush, what with the general holiday busyness in the air, but we do have an excellent substitute show with the latest Marijuana Today rolling up. In this episode of Marijuana Today, host Ben Larson is joined by guests Max Simon and Matthew Walter to dive into the rise in both crime and taxes for legal marijuana operators in California, the latest developments for cannabis banking at the federal level, and a look ahead to what the industry might see in 2022. So don't sit back, lean forward, and enjoy this episode of Marijuana Today. Welcome to episode 387 of Marijuana Today. It's your host with the most, the most of what you ask? Mm, probably cynicism with a dash of optimism. Either way, I'm Ben Larson, CEO of Vertosa, and your very tired, conscious capitalist. We're recording Saturday, December 11th, 2021. How you doing, Marijuana Nation? Well, uh, if you're part of my West Coast crew or happen to hop a flight out here for Hall of Flowers in Palm Springs this past week, or the Emerald Cups Harvest Ball in Santa Rosa kicking off today, the day of our recording, or heading out to San Francisco for NCIA's Cannavest and Cannabis Business Summit, uh, you're probably feeling my pain. With easing COVID restrictions towards the end of the year here, it really does feel that things have accelerated at breakneck speed uh, as we enter the end of the year here. Uh, and making up for lost time, at least from a trade show perspective. Uh, but you know what? I'll take it. It's been really, really good for the soul uh, to be seeing all my industry friends over the past few months. And, well, I've missed you. So now that we're dangerously close to saying goodbye to 2021 and hello to 2022, I believe this is the last episode in which you'll be hearing my voice this year. Congratulations. So so while we have some news to catch up on, I, I'm also looking forward to reflecting on the year as a whole uh, with my guests today and, and maybe do a little predicting of, of what might come next year, although I acknowledge I'm, I'm still really terrible at that game. In the spirit of the holidays, if you're looking to give me a gift, which I'm sure that's exactly uh, what you were thinking, I, I ask that you please take a moment today to, to visit iTunes or, or wherever you're listening to this pod and, and rate and review us uh, so that we can continue to attract even more of you cannabis nerds. Okay, on with the news. So whether I'm reflecting on the year or, or, or just this past week, I'm fairly certain that my recap of our democratic stronghold, uh, federal government, uh, as it pertains to cannabis policy, can be summed up in one word. Flaccid. Isn't that a fun word? I like it. 
<laughs> Flaccid. Uh, the federal legislative provision uh, that would allow U.S. banks to serve cannabis businesses has been excluded from an updated version of the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, while congressional lawmakers urgently request an update from Biden on marijuana pardons as we get deeper into the holiday season. Uh, but it's not just our federal government. Uh, we'll dedicate a bit of our time highlighting my favorite dumpster fire, our great state of California and its struggling adult use marijuana market. We'll be talking about all of this and more as we get serious about cannabis business and politics. And by we, I certainly don't mean just me. I'm joined today by two of the brightest minds in the industry and movement. First up, his second appearance on the show in fairly short order, making him our newly minted regular guest. He's the CEO of Greenflower Media and the CEO of Gangier, my left coast comrade, Max Simon. Max, thanks for uh, extending your work week to be here with us today. I, I know you're in the same boat as I am uh, when it comes to travel this past week. Well, you are becoming one of my favorite marijuana hosts, so I feel honored to be back again. <laughs> oh, I'm honored with that description. Thank you. <laughs> and next up, hailing from the right side of the country and politics, he's the CEO and founder of MCW Strategies and co-founder at Hedgerow Analysis, likely to be the most consequential addition to our regular guest roster uh, if you've happened to read some of those less supportive reviews on iTunes, uh, Mr. Matt Walter. Matt, good to see you again. Ben, great to see you. Season's greetings. Absolutely. Greetings. <laughs> Gentlemen, uh, really, truly grateful for, for you spending your Saturday morning with me. Let's hop right in. As reported by our friends at Business Insider this week, the federal legislative provision that would allow U.S. banks to serve cannabis businesses has been excluded from an updated version of the 2022 National Defense Authorization Act. And Rep Representative Ed Perlmutter uh, is hot. <laughs> Perlmutter is a, is a chief sponsor of the Safe Banking Act. Uh, he has filed a version of the Safe Banking Act several times since since 2013, and, and will continue to push for it. He he took to took 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 to Twitter to to blast Congress, stating that the Safe Banking Act has been sitting in the Senate for three years. And with every passing day, their unwillingness to deal with the issue endangers and harms businesses, the employees, and communities across the country. He goes on to say that the Senate insists on burying its head in the sand and deny every opportunity to reform for outdated cannabis laws to align state and federal law to improve public safety. I don't disagree. <laughs> uh, Matt, are you su surprised by this latest development? No, not particularly. Um, again, as, as uh, regular listeners uh, will know from my observations, if you're betting on something happening in Ameri American politics, your best bet is on no action. Uh, and so no surprise uh, that there hasn't been uh, uh, progress on this, uh, a major issue. But the larger reason um, is outside of the industry, uh, in, in my opinion. Um, you're in the wake of a fairly significant election, uh, which uh, in Virginia and New Jersey in particular, but a number of uh, smaller 
uh, elections out across the country, that, which sent some shockwaves uh, through the political system uh, in terms of what to expect for next year. And so that's on the top of everybody's mind. And then the priorities that need to get done. Um, debt ceiling raising, um, the Build Back Better plan, the other things that are in front of uh, Congress um, really uh, put them in a position where uh, an issue like this where um, uh, Pearl Mutter is a big champion, um, but you have um, far more champions out there for a variety of other issues that have a much clearer path forward. Uh, so unfortunately, uh, no no resolution, uh, and probably not a surprise given the the overall dynamics of where we are right now with Congress and American politics and and government, and also the the status of the uh, the industry progression towards legality. You're saying there's other issues outside the cannabis industry that <laughs> <laughs> absurd. <laughs> I, you know, it, it is interesting how how this conversation always surfaces, you know, commentary from from you know both sides, right? And I was actually kind of surprised to see that the the Drug Policy Alliance continues to push the narrative that, um, you know, that Congress must prioritize the the whole comprehensive marijuana reform. Um, and continues to put this on like uh, this benefiting only big cannabis businesses and at the expense of like those harmed by the, by the prohibition. And I like, I don't know. I, I'm kind of at last. Yeah. Like Max, what do you, yeah. What do you think? Well, so what, what I saw recently was quite alarming to me, which is that the safe banking act became uh, a, a social equity issue. And that that they were basically seeming to infer that um, there wasn't enough done on the social equity side to support the banking act. Um, And I felt like if that was really what was going on, it's so short sighted because um, I feel like everybody in the whole industry is suffering from the banking issue. And it's a, you know, arguably one of the biggest hindrances to everybody. It doesn't matter who's in the cannabis industry. That is a an issue that is handicapping the entire sector. And so what I had the same reaction then. I started seeing a lot of this narrative come out that that said that there was not enough being done on the social equity side of the banking thing. And that just felt like if that was what was going on, gosh, that is so um, short-sighted, short-sighted. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if, if this is going to continue to be the argument, especially, I mean, DPA is like, pretty influential, right? They're in those conversations and they, they have the regulators ears. And so, I mean, what's, what, what's next? Like, how do we get beyond the stalemate? Like, are we just going to see it ping ponging back and forth? Um, Matt, like, I, I, I don't know. We, we, we talked on, on a couple episodes back about, uh, the, you know, the, the Republican proposal for, for legalization and, you know, that was pretty thin on, on social equity. So it's like the, the conflation of like these different topics, like I just imagine it's going to be this constant stalemate moving forward, which is again, my pessimism showing through, but like, is, is, is there any hope that we work past this? Sure. Absolutely. Ben, it's the season of eternal hope, right? And so, (laughs) so everyone should continue to be hopeful. Um, the reality of it as it stands though, is for, um, a fairly significant portion, uh, of the democratic elected, uh, leadership, uh, and certainly in an all democratic structure, like you have at the, the federal level right now, um, that's, uh, one of the defining factors around it. There's a significant number of folks, uh, who have the opinion that if social equity provisions are not included now, 
that they won't be taken care of later. Um, and so for folks who are coming from that perspective, um, they're citing um, a, a long history of, of, of failed initiatives uh, and projects. And um, a number of folks that are many people across the country still in jail um, uh, as, as a result of how those policies were, were implemented uh, and the um, demographic and, and racial impacts on them. And so important to recognize that for folks for whom that is a passion issue, and, and everybody that's involved in politics has a passion issue, uh, and that's their issue, at least one, some people have more, uh, and, and, they, and they stick to it. We all have them. Uh, it's interesting, we look at other people's passion issues and say, ah, you should be able to compromise, uh, but compromise is in a, a little bit of short supp supply in American politics. But uh, important to recognize that you have a deep well of resolve uh, to get this done within that world. Um, what It's very interesting to look at Virginia, um, where you have a Democratic trifecta that launched legislation that's now uh, only a Democratic Senate. After Glenn Youngkin won governor, the House of Delegates switched to the Republicans. It'd be fascinating to see if they can get to common ground um, within that space and whether shaking up the snow globe a little bit in a way where Republicans are forced uh, to be involved in the conversation and, and resolve it. Um, be very interesting to see. Maybe there's a novel solution there um, that accommodates uh, all of those needs, but I think the stalemate will will continue given the steadfastness that you have, uh, uh, you know, among that uh, section of elected officials that are essential to creating any legislation moving forward. Matt, can I ask you a question, a follow-up yeah, question to that? So, so you know, when I look at these issues, right, there, there's the banking issue which is obviously a siloed issue within the scheme of issues. And then there's, you know, legalization issues and kind of broader federal reform issues. And it, it seems as though there is this feeling that unless the social equity side is baked into each and every step, that it, that they, that it will be forgotten otherwise. And I'm mm -hmm. curious from your perspective, is that true? Because it did seem like of all the issues, the banking issue affects everybody. Yeah. And it was so surprising to me to see such a strong antagonistic push against it because it didn't go far enough into social equity. But in my head, you know, it's felt like the social equity thing had a lot better chance to be really well represented in the broader federal legalization efforts and not necessarily the banking issue, but I'm not as familiar with you know, how these bills actually get pushed through and succeed, you know, at every step of the way. And so does your feeling that it's um, appropriate to be kind of still hurting the entirety of the industry by holding back safe banking, because that will still make sure that it's a larger priority at um, some of these, you know, um, more advanced steps or, or no? Well, uh, you know, in a democracy, you sort of get what you deserve and des deserve what you get, right? Whether it's appropriate or not, um, we're, we're making up the next steps in, in real time, which is great. That's one of the pluses of it, right? That's why we love it. Uh, it we talk about a lot of the foibles of uh, American politics and democracy right now. But compared to everything else, uh, as was once famously said, it's the best solution that, that, that we know of, except for, you know, all, all the other possibilities. Um and so I, I, I think that whether it's appropriate or not, um, over the last couple of years, and particularly in the wake 
um, of the George Floyd uh, murder and the incidents that occurred thereafter. There's a, a broader sense in the American consciousness uh, of some of the impacts of policy and how they break down along racial lines. And to a further human element, what that really means with the people that you uh, are friends with or part of your community uh, and that you see you know, every day around you. So there's a more robust dialogue going on uh, in that uh, category. Uh, and that opens the door for greater understanding more broadly uh, and uh, letting out some of the toxicity of American politics that break down on a lot of different lines. Um, but uh, racial is one of them. Uh, and so whether whether appropriate or, or, or not uh, of how this is all sort of playing forward, uh, it's understandable uh, why folks would say <laughs> this hasn't really worked out for us. The federal government hasn't been really good to us in a, in a lot of regards and us being whatever subset demographic group of America that, that you want to break down. But in this particular instance, we're talking about. Um, folks where social equity is is a priority. That's a hotter topic of conversation with more potential for positive outcomes than there has been um, maybe at any point in American political history. And so for people for whom um, the cannabis legalization and the banking is secondary to those other issues of justity, justice and equity and, and, and fairness and what kind of country we want to be, um, the idea that you could wait and maybe you'll wind up getting that afterwards it's probably sounds a little bit like Lucy with Charlie Brown and the football, like, yeah, we'll take care of this later. Well, when does later come, right? So um, it's a numbers game with all of this. We're in a representative democracy. You know, it's less about what's appropriate and, and what moves forward on a legal basis. Um, and I think you'll continue to see people with that as their number one priority issue. Are gonna, they're they're going to stick to their principles on it, um, folks like Cory Booker. And then it just becomes a numbers game. And this is where it gets really interesting um, with Nancy Mace and others. If you can pull over additional folks to vote either with the social equity block or the incrementalism block, then you do have the potential to have a majority in a bipartisan solution. But we've also <laughs> added to the complication factor there. Uh, and so your probability of getting something done in a complex environment goes down. Well, I'm not sure if I answered your question there, Max, but hopefully, hopefully I had a little perspective and info on it in your direction. Yeah, you did. I think it's, it's just one of those things where it was really so painful to watch this particular issue get kicked down the can again when everybody in the entire industry is suffering from it right now. Um, and so it's, yeah, it, it, it does give good context. Well, and just the same as we feel that uh, we can separate the two issues and get that incremental benefit. Like, I mean, there's, uh, we, we can isolate, you know, the, the, uh, the social equity uh, topic as well. Like the, the, you know, the Congress people, um, Earl Blumenauer, Barbara Lee, and, you know, Jamal Bowen, uh, Bowman, sorry, uh, wrote a letter to the president last week, really like urging uh, the presidential pardons of of those you know behind bars for for nonviolent marijuana offenses, and uh, that really you know that that takes it out of the purview of the broader kind of you know federal discussion and focuses it squarely on the president, uh, which has been pretty silent on it over the last like you know year. So uh, it, it's it is interesting to come off the last holiday season when when Trump you know kind of like surprised everyone. Um, and did you know a couple dozen uh, pardons, uh, of which included Weldon Angelos and Corvain Cooper and, and a number of others. Um, do you guys think we're going to see anything uh, coming up coming up on Christmas here? 
no. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm with Max. I think the probability of uh, something uh, sort of you know popping out as a surprise in this space before the end of the year are are extraordinarily low. All right. Well, I really, I really <laughs> think that there's this one subsection of America still that's obviously quite older leaning. That no matter what you say about the whole cannabis is good for the world thing. They just have too many years entrenched in, you know, anti-drug, anti-marijuana, you know, propaganda-based policies. And the leap to all of a sudden that, you know, this is good for the world is just too far of a leap. And mm. they're they're begrudgingly trying to kind of keep up with the times and show face in issues that that, you know, are obviously important to, to society. But I just think that the, our old belief systems are too deeply ingrained in some of the older politicians, and it's just going to require them to die off before that kind of old wave of anti-cannabis propaganda dies out of our society. Yeah. Well, for, for their sake, I hope they uh, discover cannabis in those waning years so that they can have a better quality of life on their, on their sunsetting. <laughs> Um, so to that end, we're, you know, <laughs> what did we accomplish this year? I don't know. It was, uh, really awesome to have that again, democratic, democratic stronghold that was really going to push through a progressive, you know, marijuana reform. Uh, we didn't get legalization. We didn't get safe banking. We're not getting pardons. <laughs> uh, so where does that leave us? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to let you guys Take that any direction you want. What do we we have the midterms next year? Like, what are we hoping for in in 2022? Matt, let's let's start with you. Well, the midterm conversation is going to dominate um, the discussion on any topic, um, and and this one in particular. Um, I think your opportunity uh, becomes. Um, if someone like a Nancy Mace can prevail upon Republicans to look at this issue um, as a pro-business issue, as a pro-farmer issue, and, and, as, and as a crime issue that uh, you look at California, it's not just a tax issue out there. You've got rampant crime in, in cities across the country. Um, it's a top issue for voters, a top three issue. It's normally number three. <laughs> it's certainly number three now behind the economy and, and COVID and healthcare. Um, but it's an important one. Uh, and it drives the conversation among a very um, mobilized um, portion of uh, the base of the electorate. Um, and so they'll continue to be active on it. Um, does it open up the door to have that type of conversation or have you just taken what is a problem that the Democrats couldn't solve internally and added the Republicans into it and turned it into an absolute finger pointing and food fighting exercise, which sounds like probably the, you know, the path that you're on for, for much of next year. Um, and so I, I, you know, I suspect probably next year is not the year where this winds up, uh, getting done and, and moving forward. Um, possible uh, positive and productive things that could happen um, over the course of next year would be, let's see how this works out in Virginia. I think you've got some pretty pragmatic folks uh, who are coming into office. Uh, Glenn Youngkin is uh, from the business sector. I think he's going to um, look for some 
um, good solutions there. And I think you'll see a similar desire to get things done within the House of Delegates in Virginia. And so I think that's a very interesting one, right? As people look at the progression of how this is, has, has moved towards legality, it was a lot of ballot initiatives. And then it was a lot of full blue states uh, that have moved forward with this. And so um, going through mixed government, um, moving to states that are Republican trifectas, particularly in the plains and in the southeast of the country, um, is going to take some time, to Max's point, for people to understand it's a big change. Um, and so it's going to take some time and it's going to take some conversation and, and negotiation. And so I think over the course of next year where you see benefits, are in, once again, <laughs> my favorite place for action, state and local, near people, where people can make their own decisions about what they want to see rather than a far-off government that can't always find out like which end is up or where they want to be focusing. I, you know, There's just so many uh, top-level global problems for the federal government. This just isn't a, something they're particularly designed to fix, and the history of it is, is pretty poor. So I think um, where you hope to see action is where we've seen action in the past, uh, which is in the states coming up with a path forward on, on some of these key issues and resolving that out. Excellent, excellent. And as I alluded to in the beginning, uh, we'll, we'll get to one of those locales uh, in our next segment. Max, sound off. Well, so I think that one of the things that's so fascinating about cannabis industry is that you can point your, your lens of attention in you know, so many different directions and see radically different things happening. And I think that it's been shockingly sad and terrible how poor the federal government has done around cannabis since Democrats gained control. Um, as I've said before on the pod, I, I was expecting more positive movement than we've had. And, you know, I don't even think we've had almost any positive movement on the federal side. And so I, I would agree with Matt. I don't think that's going to change next year at all. Um, I do actually, my gut feels that Republicans are going to steal this issue um, and, and it's going to become a Republican-led effort to legalize federally. It's just my gut instinct based on how things have been unfolding. I don't have any evidence to support it, just a gut feel. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen next year either. I think that's going to happen you know, as we get to later on towards the cycle. Um, but I say all that because you know, if you point your lens in the direction of the federal side, it's been terrible and, and disappointing on, on almost every level. But I also think that in um, terms of state level and local level progress, 2021 was a great year, except for in places where we had legacy problems or legacy mm. markets, if you will, like, like California, as we'll discuss, California's had one of the worst years, I think, ever <laughs> in the history of cannabis industry, um, you know, because of everything that's happened, which I'm sure we'll get to next. But but so if you point to California, it's been terrible. But if you point to a lot of other places around the country, we've either seen legislation kind of move to legalization at, at a, you know, at a very kind of smooth way and, and make some big moves happen there. You've seen more local level um, progress as well with loose licenses and states finally opting in or participating more fluidly in these kinds of places. And you've seen a greater level of adoption this year. And so even though, you know, Ben, you always allude to me being the optimist, even though I see some really painful kind of macro issues that don't look like they're getting resolved anytime soon. Uh, when I zoom into a lot of the micro level issues throughout the country, I've been pretty happy with the progress this year. And, and I've seen 
lots of, of kind of adoption in places that were very surprising to me in terms of outdated stigma, but they have done a good job of passing legislation, have done a good job of gaining support, have done a good job of ramming it through the process to get approvals. And, and I think as a result of that, you know, you're seeing a historic level of, of adoption of cannabis in new places. So it hasn't been all bad to me this year. I think that it's been just, you know, as Matt said, federal level has sucked, sucked, sucked. And local levels have done, um, in my mind, in most cases, surprisingly well. Yeah. I'll get behind that. Sounds pretty accurate. So keep pushing on the local level, folks. <laughs> well, uh, let's put a pin in segment one for now and kick it over to our producer, Shay Gunther, with a word from one of our sponsors for whom we are eternally grateful. We're very thankful to have the support of our friends over at Hedgerow Analysis. If your legal marijuana company needs location-specific data-centered projections to help you plan and grow your business, look no further than Hedgerow Analysis. They have all kinds of fancy computer models backed up by smart blocks of relevant data to help you work out things like where the best place to build your dispensary would be. Or maybe you need help citing a distribution network to ensure maximum profitability for a delivery service. Whatever your location-based strategic problems are, it's likely that Hedgerow Analysis can help you solve them. Pop over to hedgerowanalysis.com to learn more about the company's capabilities and to get in touch. That's hedgerowanalysis.com. Welcome back, everyone. As reported by John Schroyer at MJ Biz Daily, a spat of violent robberies targeting marijuana businesses in the San Francisco Bay Area last month have thrown into question the survival of several small businesses, with the combined losses of those operators estimated to be at least $5 million. At least one person was shot, and a scandal has emerged from San Francisco police officers apparently looking on while burglars made off with the cannabis products from a store they'd broken into. Uh, the aptly named Alfonso Blunt, uh, the owner of Oakland cannabis shop Blunts and More, uh, which was one of the businesses uh, hit last month, uh, had this to say. I was safer selling weed on the streets of Oakland than I am selling it legally. And that's a problem. That's crazy to even say, but that's just the reality I'm living in right now. As highlighted by my good friend Amber Center of Supernova Women, uh, a lot of these folks are not open and won't be open for a while because they can't bounce back from these these things, uh, which don't make me uh, get into how that's also related to segment one. Um, Max, you're a fellow Californian. How are you feeling about things lately? It's so terrible just to see the level of stigma that still exists, you know, around this space. Like I was at Hall of Flowers these last few days and one of the most um, disturbing things that I saw was the cops walking around the event 
looking around, just snarling at everybody. I mean, it looked like they just didn't know what to do with themselves in the middle of this legal show. And, mm-hmm. and it just reminded me of the same thing I was saying earlier about like, you know, I think the police force is another group that has been so indoctrinated into, you know, bad, illegal, bad, illegal, bad, illegal, that that's, you know, really deeply uh, intertwined with the attitudes around the cannabis businesses and the legal space. And it's just so disheartening because I feel like it's not going to be, this is not a policy thing. This is not a social thing. This is like a deep-seated attitude and belief thing. And I think that that's not going to go away until, you know, generations of generations of generations of police officers are, you know, seeing that this is not something to be demonized and then they start to change their attitude. But it really feels, I mean, it feels a little hopeless to me when I hear these stories of cops just simply not giving a shit about, you know, the, the crime that's happening against these businesses. It's disheartening. Man, I, I I know that body language you're talking about. It's like the, the, when when they're wearing the vest and they're like sticking their their thumbs like into their shoulder straps and just kind of like holding them there, like puffing their chest out. Like it is, it's like hyper intimidating. It's like like shit. Like wh- wh- why do I feel like I've done something wrong and I'm like sitting here in like a business suit, right? Um, it's it's wild. Yeah, they were they were they were unhappy looking characters walking around the show. And I I just because it was such a moment, I actually walked around kind of behind them just watching for a minute just to see. And it it really it felt like, you know, somebody was in the middle of a tiger cage and they were just waiting for, you know, a moment of a tiger to flinch like they were coming at him and they were going to, you know, go after him with all they got. And you could just tell you could see visually, visually the incongruency between I feel like this is terrible and yet this is a legal thing. And so I'm biting my teeth and, you know, or crunching my teeth, trying to be okay with it. And just the visual representation of these cops walking around the show, kind of battling their own incongruencies with what was happening was so apparent to me. And it just made me really feel sympathy for all this crime that's happening. And you could see visually like what was happening in real time, just by these people walking around the show. It, it it does beg the question: Why were they in the show? Um, because I don't recall that at the the Santa Rosa instance or any other cannabis conference. So, like, why this one? Is it is it? It might be a Palm Springs thing. I I have no idea. But I I found that like actually generally the the city of Palm Springs has been pretty lax on on their their control of cannabis. So, yeah, really really interesting. Matt, were you gonna say something? Well, uh, for me, it was uh, when I read this article, uh, not having been uh, out at the conference, um, it was more about uh, the situation with the small business people uh, as it's sort of playing out in in California. And um, I think always good to take a step back and and acknowledge the obvious. I mean, you're right. There are there are. uh, in, in incongruent elements with how police do their job. And, and while there may be some portion of that with some of them that's related to training or ideology of something of that nature, um, it's a tough job under the best of circumstances. And right now, it's, it's not clear. Um, do you stop and step in if a peaceful protest turns into a riot? At which point do you do that? 
Um, at which point do you let it play out so people can sort of express themselves? And there's no clear answer, but we all expect <laughs> that they're going to have the exact right answer sort of in, in the heat of the moment. And so, um, you know, when I look at a, you know, a small business owner uh, who says they feel less safe now, um, that has to change. And that's not going to change from the police force. That's going to change from the people who direct the police force where they should be focused. What are the laws that they should be pursuing? Where should they be cracking down? And right now that's very unclear because they are dealing with multiple overlapping sets of regulations that are in conflict. Um, and so, yes, for, you know, for, for me and a lot of folks, whenever you see police, they're in a situation and there's a dangerous situation going on and they don't feel like they have the clear um, direction and authority which way to move. And you may not like, <laughs> you know, some of the options of which those those directions are. But right now it's sort of a paralyzed standing by. Um, and that's terrible for the folks that own those businesses um, and for uh, the communities surrounding them um, and for the larger effort, quite frankly, because one of the reasons why we aren't all still making bathtub gin or, you know, buying liquor from the illegal market is there was a very clear decision by the government at that time of they were going to go after illegal actors and they were going to go after them aggressively and they were going to shut them down and create a fair playing field for the legal actors. Um, and so in a reasonably short period of time, you, you had a situation where legal, safe, reliable products, where the funds were not going into an organized crime element, became sort of the, you know, the, the law of the land in, in sort of short order. Um, we don't have that clarity of resolve right now. We were very clear we wanted to go into prohibition, and we were very clear we wanted to come out of prohibition. And so those changes took years to develop, um, but had much clearer lines around it than, than where you have now. Um, and again, you know, this is one of those issues where I think there's a there's a potential for the GOP, but where the challenges also come in um, for, for, for for both sides and both parties. Um, crime, particularly in large cities, as I said, are, are, are major issues right now. Um, and so the ability to support the law abiding small business people, which will have a concurrent benefit of choking out. Uh, the illegal markets um, and, and cutting off those uh, supplies uh, and folks that are being um, nefarious actors. So you've, you've got that as a potential, but until those localities um, decide to step in um, and, and uh, uh, demand that type of enforcement, we're going to continue to be caught in this nether world um, that benefits um, nobody, really, uh, and, and takes a, you know, takes a, you know, it takes a toll on everybody that's involved in it. Yeah. Well, the, the, the interesting aspect here is that it, it's not isolated to just the cannabis industry, especially here in the Bay Area, L.A. Uh, this, I mean, could be like very much a California issue right now um, where, you know, there's just these bands of, of criminals are going in and just, you know, broad daylight and, you know, sometimes overnight looting, you know, be it department stores, you know, tech offices, cannabis companies. Uh, it just so happens that cannabis companies are, are ripe for the picking earlier in the year. You know, the, the addresses of all the licensed entities were available to to these syndicates and <laughs> they were just picking them off one by one. And uh, that has since been rectified, although, you know, there's probably a database somewhere where those were and uh, it's no no secret where the retailers are. So that those are certainly the ones that are, are being targeted. But yeah, I mean, I, I have, you know, friends in the tech industry that one of the businesses was hit four times in 10 days. And, and 
vi- video showing, you know, 50 people running in and just like taking everything. It, it, it's, it's, it's wild. And so, uh, yeah, cannabis or not, it's, it's a, a real problem in California. Matt, I wish that that prohibition story could just be front and center everywhere, though, because it does give such a better um, analog for what it could what could happen. You know, it's like society agrees. This is something that we don't want in the hands of criminals anymore. So we're going to shift that tackle it aggressively by both, you know, taking out the legal operators aggressively and just enacting the new system so that it's safe and, and legal it kind of simplifies the story and reminds us that we've already been here before. We've seen what can happen and that, that if you just kind of come decisive with, with how we should do this thing, that you can make this, you kept saying in relatively short order, you know? And so I think that's a good story. Just keep reminding, you know, everyone about that this is not something we haven't dealt with before. And that if we want to get there, we just need to take this kind of comprehensive, decisive action. It, it kind of simplifies the issue for me. Yeah, no, no doubt about it. And that's, you know, that's a beautiful thing about life, right? Like we've all been through greater challenges than we're going through now. We're going to face worse challenges when future comes. Humans can do all sorts of things. This isn't something that's an unsolvable problem. It's complex. There's no question about it. But it's not the kind of thing uh, that people need to throw up their hands and say, oh, well, those, there, there's no way to resolve this. I mean, of, of course there is. <laughs> of course there is. Uh, it's not, e- not easy and, and not always clean and clear. But um, giving that directive, uh, having that sense of, of, of moving forward is we're still figuring that out exactly how we want to do it as, as a country. So that makes it challenging. But um, until you can get it clarified, um, that's going to be an issue. And within this larger issue where crime will continue to be one that motivates um, voter, voters um, from a variety of different perspectives, but it's highly motivating to voters, you're going to continue to hear about crime. Uh, and it's going to be continued uh, to cast uh, in that type of conversation and, and moving into the elections. Um, and so that's where you hope it, it stirs up uh, some clear direction uh, and some action uh, that's positive. Yeah, and unfortunately, I've, I've heard it weaponized in both directions, right? And so it's like, <laughs> it just muddies the water. Um, but some good news, I guess, like in, in that positive direction is the, the city of San Francisco, uh, the super, supervisors unanimously uh, approved suspending the, the citywide cannabis taxes to help these businesses. Um, and so supervisor Raphael Mandelman, uh, took to Twitter and said that, uh, cannabis businesses create good jobs for San Franciscans and and provide safe regulated products to their customers. Now is not the time to impose a new tax on small businesses that are just getting established and trying to compete with the illicit operators. So amen to that one. Uh, that's one city down and an entire state to go, (laughs) um, and just the, the extent of those taxes are pretty insane. Um, you know, the city of Oakland, you know, has a 10% gross receipts tax uh, for all cannabis businesses. And so uh, that is that is money that will now be uh, available for hopefully some recovery, at least for the, the businesses in San Francisco. Um, but that doesn't take care of taxes altogether, right? So we, we have this uh, elephant in the room that, that I want to kind of like uncover here um, because I just did kind of like the homework for myself for the, the first time. Um, you know, I, I want to be clear, like asking for tax breaks is not the cannabis industry being greedy. 
uh, as some of our Democratic leaders have accused us in the past. Uh, looking at you, Libby Schaff, mayor of Oakland. Uh, I, had a, I had a spirited discussion with, with, with the good folks over at uh, Poseidon Asset Management this week and, and had me dig a little bit deeper uh, into the drivers of, of our struggling market. So uh, total tax revenue reported by the CDTFA, uh, the Tax and Fee Administration, uh, from, from the cannabis industry just for 2021 second quarter uh, was $333 million. And, and that was actually up from Q1 uh, maybe down a little bit from uh, from 2020, as, as I heard. Um, for clarity, this does not include tax revenue collected by each jurisdiction. So that's $333 million to the state for one quarter. Uh, to put some context with this, the revenue for the beer industry in California for the entire year, 2019, 2020, uh, this, this doesn't change really that much from year to year, which is which is interesting from a from the well alcohol as a total doesn't um but it's 135 million dollars for the beer industry for the entire year uh about 30 million uh for the wine industry in california and then about 204 million dollars for the spirits so that's 369 million dollars for all of alcohol in california for an entire year so that's like four times you know what we are paying uh, as a cannabis industry. And as you can imagine, the alcohol market is a lot bigger. It's what, like, if the entire alcohol industry in, in the US is about 200, 250 billion, you know, California is about 10, 10% of the population. So just call it 25 billion. Cannabis sales in, in 2020 was about 4.4 billion. So even being conservative, rounding up, call it, call it a fifth of the market, four times the state tax. To me, I think that's what 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 like a twenty x handicap. That's some bullshit. <laughs> like like the state is like robbing and killing this legal market, and it's all in the numbers right here. Like I, I just I, I'm just dumbfounded. I, I I'm like why why <laughs> like why why are we here? It's so infuriating. Yeah. Well, you've you've got a, a a California government and government in general has a voracious appetite, right? There's there's always another reason why you could uh, rationalize why government should take more money from somebody else to give to somebody else, right? Um, but the practical reality of it is that three hundred uh, or so million dollars that you reference that's now rolling uh, into taxes in the um, in the, in the legal category, that would be going to an illegal market towards guns, towards violence, towards all kinds of things. So it's good that we're making progress away from that. Um, but the reality is if the, these businesses are sitting ducks, are you kidding me? I mean, they've got the, the kinds of things that people who commit crimes want to get their hands on right away. Money, cash, drugs, probably guns to defend those things, right? So it really is not a great situation at all. It's, it's, it's a terrible situation. And when you're talking about having you know, close to 50% taxes when you add it all up in California. And then you put a, a federal tax that they're proposing at 25%, you're at 75%. The market won't succeed. It'll fail. It, it's, it's not about whether there's a nice cause you could spend the money on or whether it's a sin tax and they deserve to be taxed. It will fail. People will go out of business. You can't function at that level. And so from a practical standpoint, 
um, California, um, you know, biggest market on, on the planet um, could do a better job, uh, whether it's the law enforcement side or the taxation side, cracking down on illicit actors. But California hasn't really shown a particular interest in, in doing those things, which is why it's you know a major exporter of jobs and uh, and population from that state. So, you know, th- those consequences are there. But if you don't bring some common sense to what businesses need to function, they won't function, and then you will go back to a black uh, illegal market, and you will have uh, all the ensuing um, even worse problems. Um, um, than you're going to have with 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 legal markets. I think it's so interesting. I guess I just think about you know all human behavior is guided by beliefs and values, right? What what do you believe in? What are your values? And when you think about the cannabis industry, it's like you know from the from a legal regulatory side, it's always been looked at as kind of like okay, well this is something that we we might be willing to tolerate because it's not that bad for society, or maybe that's not even the case. Maybe they think it is bad for society, but it's better to be regulated and bad for society than it is to be unregulated and bad for society. And when I think about the tax structure that's happening in California and what's happening, it feels like, you know, the the government has been willing to go the path of saying it's better to regulate it than it is to not regulate it because then that takes away from crime and all this other stuff. But it still has the underlying values and belief system that this is not something to be tolerated. You know, this is not something good for our society. This is not something we accept in our world. And as a result of that, you see people in government being willing to unnecessarily create these huge burdens because it's you know, you can't hear as a business person that the cannabis industry is being taxed 20 times higher than alcohol is and think anything but this is just not the way that that capitalism and market is in, is supposed to work. This is not the way that that we're designing societies to be advanced and innovative. This is going back to a society where it's you know, very um, ruled by monarchy. And it doesn't matter what you do, it's taxed at the highest level for, because we say so. And it just feels like at every level, education needs to be kind of continued to be brought into the people at the top, because otherwise, they're just going to be approaching it from the values and belief systems. that This is not something positive to bring into the world. And it'll translate into this terrible structure of taxation and lack of law enforcement support. And it just kind of reinforces to me why education is so imperative because you can do everything else right. But if people underneath it all still have the beliefs and the values, this isn't good for society, it's still going to sabotage the whole structure of it. Yeah, com- com- completely agree with you on, on the um, potential for the sabotaging. Um you know, one other element here that's, you know, important one to think about from the taxation standpoint uh, is most governments at any level in the U.S. right now are flush with cash, right? So there's a lot of uh, resources Thir- that have been- $31 billion surplus. That's the right? icing on the cake, right? Like yeah. for California. They don't need the money. 
<laughs> they, they don't need the money. Right now, every time you go and fill up your taxes, if it's 10%, you're paying 10% on $4, not two. You're paying twice as much in taxes, right? There's just there's more money flowing in, stimulus and so forth. So that's the, the, the tremendous irony of the whole thing is they don't even need the money. <laughs> even for a state that spends as much as California does and as wantonly as they have at times in the past. Um, you know, something like this is just, it's, it's illogical. It's, it's not going to lead to the types of solutions that um, people would generally hope for. Well, despite all that, on the whole, we, the operators in California, still have, well, some optimism left, I think, <laughs> at least for the future of the industry, if we can get through this, uh, which we'll get to in our final segment when we return. Uh, but first, word from Shay and our amazing sponsor that keeps us in your ears every week. Shay? This week, we're glad to have the support of our friends over at The Atlantic Farms of Portland, Maine, which is known around town for their unique medical marijuana dispensary slash gas station, where you can fuel up on all the things you need to get down life's road. Pop over to theatlanticfarms.com today to browse their extensive menu of top-notch Maine marijuana products, all available at hugely affordable prices. That's theatlanticfarms.com. If you do stop in, tell them I said hello. third and final segment. As mentioned at the top of the hour, at the time of this recording, I'm just returning from a week in Palm Springs, where the cannabis industry took over the city for the Hall of Flowers event. It was a really great event, uh, all in all. I, I'm still coming down from the high, um, both figurative and literal. Uh, what I loved about this particular event is that I really started to get a feel for, for cannabis consumer packaged goods. Uh, I mean, I'd say like in, in California market, at least real brands kind of started emerging back in 2016, 2017, uh, you know, Kiva being one of the more notable ones. Uh, but now it, it, it's evolving. Uh, there seems to be a greater depth being built into some of the brands. I mean, we still have some pretty shitty brands entering the market every day. Uh, I don't know what the split is. Uh, I'll let my guests kind of pontificate on that. Um, but certainly more substantial experiences that, that can give you a feel for that kind of coveted, you know, air quote, lifestyle uh, that, that many of them are painting in their pitch decks. Uh, it was great. You know, it was, it was a good time. So, so Max, you were there. Uh, what did you think? I thought that there was a lot of people that were not distinguishing themselves. And mm -hmm. I was quite surprised by the percentage of brands that looked like just pretty packaging and no real depth underneath it. And so that was a little surprising to me in the California marketplace, just because, yeah. you know, California is so well established. So I, I first off was actually a little bit surprised by how shallow um, a good percentage of the brands were. Um, if and you then, had to pick a number, what, what would you say? I mean, I, you know, I would even say it was more like 
70 to 80 percent okay okay that's a, that's a lot shower. of noise yeah yeah it was a lot i was surprised by how many noisy players there were and then agreed i thought that there was a smaller handful of really thoughtful brands that were starting to stand out in their categories and mm-hmm. i agree it, you definitely felt the the ethos of you know a, an own individual personality with its own messaging and its own kind of um, you know, value proposition standing out. And so it was really fascinating to me because I was not expecting to see in California actually such a high concentration of um, stuff that didn't stand out to me. And then I was pleasantly surprised to see in some kind of fewer and far between cases, though, the the um, settling of brands into real branding, you know, real branding, real comprehensive storytelling, on-point messaging, differentiation, that kind of thing. So I agree Mm -hmm. with your point in one sliver, but I was actually surprised to see how many were not in that camp still in 2021 in California. So trying to, trying to chisel out at least one like positive segment here of that sliver, (laughs) Um, you know, what were some of the products or, or trends that were standing out to you? Like what was helping them stand out? Well, for example, um, I was I was actually pretty impressed with um, Parentco uh, mm-hmm. and the fact that they had, you know, a real sense of, I mean, that Parentco's diversity kind of narrative and story and representation was really strong and, and felt kind of authentic to me. They had um, a, a nice set of different kinds of brands that I was like, you know, like I like their monogram brand, which is Jay-Z's brand. And I, Mm-hmm. I liked how they were doing some of the Kaliva packaging. And I just thought like, I really got a sense that this was a company going after totally different kind of building separate brands, building, mm-hmm. building their own individual brands in a suite of products. And, and even in their booth, they had different sections that like felt like you were in almost like a different store in their booth. Um, and so I think that, that some of the, you know, companies that are just trying to create real identities in terms of, you know, the packaging has a message to say, the people have a message to say, the marketing collateral has a message to say, the products are, are reinforcing that story in unique ways. Um, I saw, you know, collections of those companies that were, were doing a good job of telling kind of their own unique story that translated across the, the medium of the brand. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was, I maybe my perception was a little skewed because I actually spent more time outside of the conference than inside. And so I, I went to a lot of the branded events or, or like the categorical events. Um, I I'm a bit of a homer on this one because I'm pretty involved in the beverage category, but, um, you know, I think PBR or, or PAPS labs, uh, has done a really good job at building out a nice like line of products and creating that ethos. And I think it, it all came together for me, like in this, this, you know, uh, offsite, uh, private event that they held where, you know, it just had a very particular feel like the, the look of everything, the music and all that. And it was, it was just a really lively atmosphere that I think, um, there was actually a couple of events that did this, like just really highlighted the opportunity with the, the beverage category itself, you know, just kind of the, the, the social nature of things and, and, uh, how you can actually have a really fun and, you know, uplifting party with, without alcohol. Um, and, uh, it, it's kind of interesting to see a category like that kind of starting to come into its own and, 
yeah, really provide the the promise that a lot of the operators, you know, again, such as myself, uh, have been kind of like touting from the beginning. So, um, you know, I was, I was excited. excited to see was that. that party really alcohol free? I mean, is that was that was that? <laughs> True. <laughs> <laughs> there may have been some alcohol there. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was supposed to, um, but but you know, I, I uh, to that end, I, I did go to there was a there was a dispensary across the street from the venue called the Vault, and they were having a uh, the Cannabis Beverage Association was doing a consumption lounge event where it was all all cannabis beverages, and there was this whole lineup. I think there was probably. 12 to 15 different products that you can kind of, you know, choose the one of your liking and, and taste test. And like, you know, it was, it was a packed room for, for, I think at least like four hours. Um, so it was, it was a lot of fun. Matt, what are you seeing in the industry? What, what, what kind of trends are, are sticking out to you? Yeah, it sounds like a great event. Um, sorry, sorry, I wasn't out there, but uh, Max certainly agree with you. Um, from what we've seen um, with the parent company, they're making very smart decisions on a number of different fronts, and so you, you're starting to see a little bit, in, in my estimation, a bit of a stratification um, between the different uh, companies and, and who's positioning themselves well for the future, and who's sort of showing up thinking this is just an easy gold mine and just sort of dropping into it. Um, they'll be they'll be the first folks knocked out. <laughs> By the way, for everybody who doesn't know it, but um, but folks like uh, the parent company will be the opposite of that. They'll they're they're built to last and and grow uh, and maximize their valuation. So keep an eye on those types of companies. I think I think is smart because branding um, will will drive the way. Right, unlike Canada with the um, governmental market, we love brands here in the U.S. <laughs> and brands are starting to emerge. People are starting to associate um, specific brands that, that they like. That'll be a big part of how the industry moves forward um, in, in our estimation. Um, physically and physical product um, packaging, you mentioned, right? Any new product is going to have very unique packaging offerings um, and, and to make it exciting for the consumer. Um, interesting thought here. This is a consumer base that doesn't want a bunch of extra advertising and corporate packaging that, you know, you'll, you'll need it to some degree to crack into the market, but it's a group that cares about environmental considerations as well. And so I think there's definitely a market out there for folks that go with a, a more environmentally friendly packaging because from security to preservation, um, there's, there's a lot of wrapping that, that goes around the products. Mm -hmm. um, and Matt, you know, yeah. what was really interesting to me about that, what you just said is, I was quite shocked in California, actually, how much emphasis there was on the like party lifestyle kind of branding and not, not nearly as much on the, you know, ESG or environmental or cultural or it was strange to me, actually, like how much focus the brands were on the lifestyle side and how um, insignificant or how uh, few brands were were kind of positioning themselves in any of those other more kind of values oriented directions. And so I don't know if you guys have any feedback on why in California that seems to be happening, or at least why at the show that was representative. But it was again, it was pretty surprising to me the lack of diversification of a brand story or brand ethos outside of this kind of lifestyle kind of party almost like a little bit sexy social vibe you know um it was it was really surprising to me i didn't expect that i i i think it's a lot of 
you know, what this industry has been guilty of for a long time is, is ego, right? Like there's, uh, I don't know, maybe it follows that 70 to 80% trend of thin brands, but like everyone wants to be the hero and they want to like have the crowd and they want to do the parties and they want to like be the center of attention. And, um, I, I, this is my hypothesis. I think there's still room for it. I, I don't think it necessarily it's indicative of the entire market. I think maybe there's a gap and an opportunity for, for someone to be more consumer centric. Cause that at the end of the day, that's what it is, right? It's like, all right, let's think about the consumer. Let's build a product that speaks to those, those needs and desires and, and think about the consumer for once instead of our own egos. It's a salient differentiator that somebody's going to take advantage of. Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's prized by the customer base and, and businesses that are good um, community members and, and good sort of corporate citizens. That's another thing that um, consumers of this product have and will continue um, to place value on. Um, and uh, so you're not just setting something up at the end of the strip mall and that's it. <laughs> you know, your, your doors are open to your interaction with the community and that's it. You know, y- y- to be looking for opportunities that align with the product that you're selling and the brand that you're executing to, to, to be active. Um, and in places where that's happened, um, and Santa Rosa in California is a good example of it, um, there's loyalty. There will be that brand loyalty just like you have for all these other um, products out there now as as it matures for people that are smart and listening to their consumers that never goes out of style that's a good business practice always yeah yeah it's um yeah it's interesting to think maybe that's maybe that's the big opportunity for brands looking to 2022 right like um if 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 this is like an emergence of okay there there's an opportunity for some of these lifestyle brands and some companies are really doing it right you know you guys are talking about parent company. I, I do love what they've been doing. You know, I think, you know, some of these big MSOs that are trying to turn themselves into a house of brands could probably take some notes and, and how to like build a little bit more depth there. Um, yeah. I, what other opportunities do we think there, there are for, for brands and, and the industry to evolve in, in, in to 2022, you know, short of being able to influence uh, federal regulations. <laughs> so I've got three. Oh, go ahead. No, yeah, you take it, Matt. Go ahead. So, so I see three um, other areas that um, are are poised for significant growth. Obviously, delivery in the wake of COVID uh, entered an entirely different phase, and we're seeing a lot of the companies that we work with are exploring uh, how they can layer delivery uh, into their operations um, and all the complexities that come with that. Um, on-site consumption uh, is another one uh, that will be moving through the, the regulatory element and um, be a, a firmer, further step towards normalization uh, and the, the product's usage in, in the general public. And then sort of the analytics, and, and again, we're a data analytics company, so forgive me, that's where we <laughs> focus, but sort of the analysis of the industry um, is getting sharper and more focused than it has been in the past. Still got a ways to go, um, but you know, the best comparative example is in September when uh, natural gas prices spiked early. Everybody threw their hands up there and said, how could this possibly happen? It's not supposed to happen for another 10 days because it's so tight. The analysis is into commodities pricing, um, consumption, you know, ultimately as you move into um, uh, choices, uh, product consumption choices between beverage or flour or edibles and, and you know, so forth. Um, that uh, analysis, that understanding, that sophistication by the industry um, will continue to, to grow and make the industry stronger in advance of legalization at the federal level. 
Yeah. Yeah. Max, what were you going to say? I mean, I guess my, my feeling is that it really did seem like we're at the place where cannabis has the opportunity to go more selectively after specific audiences. Um, and I, I'm only saying that, I guess, because when I, I didn't have many brands that appealed to me as a consumer type at this particular show. You know, I, I'm not necessarily the party social kind of flashy guy. I'm definitely the wellness oriented um, kind of conscious consumer that wants clean, you know, <laughs> uh, a sun grown kind of cannabis. And um, there just seemed like a real lack of diversification of brands going after different audience types. And maybe I'm wrong, maybe that, that it just doesn't succeed here in California to do that. And that's why you didn't see much of it. But, you know, from a pure um, consumer type focus, it just felt like looking at this, this particular show alone, if I was only to snapshot this show, it felt sure like there was a ton of opportunity to go after more of a wellness audience, certainly a more mature audience. Um, you know, people that have more ESG values as their product, as their kind of, you know, archetypes just all felt like looking at this show a big opportunity because of the fact that it wasn't present in, in very many ways, in, you know, here in the California market. Yeah, I, I would have loved to see someone, you know, take the same effort and expense into doing a an engagement like that, like, you know, get everyone gathered at a spa, like have like these different breakout areas where, I don't know, massages, sound bath, that kind of stuff. And just like just really great products with a low key atmosphere. I, I don't know. I think people could dig it. <laughs> but even like even Ben, you know, like I was surprised by how difficult it was to get any information about like, well, how are these products grown? Or like what, mm -hmm. you know, what ingredients are you using or just like anything? I mean, you know, when I talked to a lot of the people at the boots, it was just, it was so much about like kind of trying telling this interesting story that had nothing to do actually about the product quality. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah. It, it didn't have to do about the safety or the wellness aspects or anything. And so it was just, very interesting to see all these brands not doing a very good job to be about consumer education, but rather to be about consumer lifestyle. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that is where the cannabis industry is. Maybe it is, that's what everybody wants, but. I, I think you're right, Max. I, I think you bring up, I think you bring up a great point because if you think about it, the amount of say organic products or even stores that sell organic products and that past 10, 20 years, how that's changed. So people are looking, not everybody, and not everybody has the you know, time or resources to, to put into looking at these things, but you certainly have more awareness and more information about it than ever before. And like you talked about, like sunlight's really important for people. <laughs> Eating products that are grown nearby you is really important for you. It's good for your body. It's good for your brain. And people are understanding that and talking about it more. And so interesting that an industry that really was at the forefront and very much associated with that type of under standing has now gone full on come on into the party type of mode which there's you know there's a, a lane of that for sure but there's a lot more to it um that you are seeing more broadly across other consumer packaged goods that you know you it's interesting that uh this industry that drove a lot of that is sort of um pivoting away it's fascinating yeah well more yeah. more opportunities certainly 
Yeah. Go ahead, Max. Matt, I'm just going to say, you just, you just nailed it for me. Why? I, I couldn't figure out. I, I kind of left this show feeling a little sad. I mean, it was real. The, the thing that I loved, I loved the social aspect. I loved the community. I loved the fact we could all consume together. You know, I loved all that. The community was so great. But I did walk away going like, where is, yeah, you couldn't put a name on it. Where's the legacy of like, we're doing this for medicinal purposes. We're doing this to help people. We're doing this for access to clean, safe medicine. And it, it I didn't put my finger on it until you just said it. It's because that's the kind of heritage that that cannabis has come up in and has been so loyal to. And all of a sudden, you know, it feels like yeah, legalization's here. Now it's just turning into a big party. And um, it makes me a little sad because I, what brought me into this space and what I've always been motivated for has been that kind of legacy, wellness-oriented, patient-first kind of attitude. And that was just missing from this particular show entirely. Yeah, interesting point. You know, I, I think a lot of it can be tied back to, you know, the, the sheer fact that people are, are catering to the, the power buyers. And right now, those power, power buyers are, you know, the classic, you know, bud tenders and the, the heavy consumers and, you know, the former like Corova uh, customers, right? Um, so I, I think we're still evolving out of that. But um yeah, certainly an opportunity. I, I one thing that I could see really helping actually is that CCOF, um, uh, you know, the organic certification body here in California, is actually has created a cannabis certification. Um, it's in its infancy. Like our our friends over at Sonoma Hills Farm, they have like license zero 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 one, and they're now like looking at other parts of the supply chain. So you can get like certified organic cannabis flour now. So that's that's something that a label that will probably start emerging in, in 2022, which will be really interesting. They haven't, I don't think yet identified it, but it is next on the list. Like, all right, let's, let's go to the extractors. Let's figure out how to create like certified organic extraction, which isn't very hard because it exists in other, you know, mainstream markets, right? You can get certified, uh, organic hemp. So I, I don't, uh, I don't think it'll take that long. And then, you know, for companies like ours, like that, that next step, like getting it into the infused product. And, and once you have all that, you can get all other organic ingredients and you could have certified organic products at that point. Um, so hopefully, you know, and I guess this kind of goes into mine is like, that's what I want to see next year too, is just like kind of further development to that, that health and wellness and better products, better for you products, because those are the trends, especially like in beverage, you know, we see a lot of functional beverages, better for you beverages, um, and I'd like to see that kind of start to marry with with the cannabis market as it naturally uh, should, as as you guys kind of pointed out. Hey Ben, on that note, a lot of these thing, a lot of the things that will drive um, some of the things that we're talking about here, particularly your last point, is better research. And so um, <laughs> let's hope that this is the um, opportunity coming up where we can look at this, right? I mean, you, you can have too much water and it will kill you, right? So there's any substance out there is not perfect, right? And so like, what is the best way to use it? What's the safest way? You know, what are the ways that are going to do the most to enhance the greatest amount of human health or enjoyment, you know, ac across the border? And so um, looking at this opportunity that, it doesn't seem like things are moving very smoothly at the federal level. Again, here's another another spot to drop that flag on it. But um, 
You know, there's so much more information that can come out of it to help make smarter regulations and just that analysis of what are the best policies, which what are the where do the best results come from, which state is doing it right, which locality is doing it right. You know, spending that type of time on the product research and and, and the analysis of it is going to help refine out bad choices, bad options and keep us more focused on the things that will continue to bring, you know, positive, uh, positive good into people's lives and, and minimize and mitigate the unintended consequences of, of the negative elements that come with anything in life. Absolutely. That's a great parting point. Let's wrap up segment three there. We're going to take one more quick break. And when we return, finishing moves. Welcome back, folks. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves. Finishing Moves is the part of our show where our illustrious guests can talk about anything they wish. So, Max, let's start with you. What do you got? Well, as you know... Uh, the Gangier 2022 class is getting ready to kick off. Gangier is the Cannabis Sommelier Certification, which is this rigorous process of understanding what creates quality in cannabis products, how to do proper assessment using the, the Gangier Systematic Assessment Protocol, a criteria for assessing cannabis flower and concentrates, and then service. How do you pro- translate this knowledge and understanding to consumers? And we've take, taken these kind of experts in the realms of all the facets of cannabis and brought together into this very well-defined curriculum to help people to become a certified Gangier. And so the 2022 class is getting ready to kick off, just about filled up, and certainly want to encourage anybody who's really interested in the uh, elements of quality assessment and service to check it out because it's a pretty amazing community and program that's being built there. And we're heading into our second year with our second class and it's going to be a great time. So I'm just looking forward to, to getting started with the 2022 Gangier class. I love that. I, I'm imagining just kind of, you know, hearkening back to our last discussion, just the opportunity for some of these ganjiers to like create the, you know, wine spectator rating system that can then be applied to like the labels of these products that are flooding the market. And so we can actually get a true understanding of, of the quality and nuances of the product without being a, an expert ourselves. Um, we're working on it, working on it, working on it. I, I, I figured you were. <laughs> All right. All right. Matt, your finishing move. 
Uh, well, wanted to close out the year uh, with a uh, political stat um, that is a is a really a great one for people to track uh, where the overall environment is going. So for for people that um, maybe don't follow politics as closely, a very easy rule of thumb is to look at the congressional generic ballot. Um, that's where you ask voters if you were going to elect your representative of Congress, would it be a Republican or Democrat, period, no name associated with it. Um, and that's typically the, the break-even point on that, uh, where it's going to be a neutral year, is somewhere between Democrats plus four or six, that voters prefer Democrats uh, over Republican generically by four to six points. That usually breaks out about even. Long story about polling and American trend lines of why that is. Um, but right now, um, it's at Republicans plus Plus three, So you're really seven to 10 points f- more favorable to Republicans right now. Always good to remember there isn't an election now. <laughs> it really only matters what people think on election day. Um, but our plus three is a, is a pretty strong number, um, particularly in the wake of the elections in Virginia and New Jersey earlier this year and where you're seeing um, uh, the, the uh, political conversation, the governmental conversation go as we head into the end of the year. As a point of reference, in April of 2010, uh, and you had a significant um, uh, wave election um, towards Republicans uh, in 2010, Uh, in April of 2010, it was Democrats plus 10. Um, and you still wound up having that type of year. So a lot of things can change. It can move in a lot of different directions. But when people start to say the House is pretty much gone, the Senate is 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 going to be contested and go race by race, that's one of the things that they're looking at. So I want to empower people to, to look that up on your own. It's a great thing to sort of follow along. And because life isn't all about politics and it's way too contentious right now. I want to say on the last day of, of Hanukkah, as we're recording this, happy Hanukkah, Merry Christmas. Have a great holiday season. Be with your family. Be nice to people and have a wonderful time. Beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. And in, in, you know, previous years, I might have found those stats depressing. But with the rate that we've been going this year uh, and how California is feeling, I'll just I won't say I'm switching teams. I'll just say I'm not as depressed as I would have been in previous years. <laughs> ben, we'd lo- ben, we'd love, we'd love to have you. We'll, uh, we'll, 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 we'll and, and you know what? The Republicans need to fight to earn that. Um, they need to fight to, to defend agriculture and small businesses. And I think you'll see, I think you see an open mind toward that, that moving forward. Well, if you guys keep promoting, uh, you know, common sense regulation for, for cannabis legalization, uh, you, you might get me sooner than later. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Great. As for me, uh, I just really wanted to say thank you. Um, as I sign off uh, for the year and what is uh, officially my 35th episode with the show, um, in, in you know trying to wrap the, the business's books uh, in preparation for 2022 and attending my last events of the season, I, I find myself just being eternally grateful for where I am, you know, amid, you know, all the, all the challenges, but um, yeah, I, I just feel like I've come a long way in the past year as far as my headspace uh, and where it was this time last year and where we've collectively come as a movement and industry from, from a big picture perspective. Um, yeah, I, I love this industry um, and I appreciate everyone that's participating in it. And I, and I don't take any of this uh, for granted. Being on the show, being able to, you know, represent part of the community. Uh, it's just truly an honor, uh, to be a part 
of it all uh, and work with people like Shay Gunther, Heather Sullivan, uh, Brian Adams, and of course my uh, podcast host, Man Crush, Chris Crane, uh, and all of our uh, all of our wonderful guests uh, like Max and Matt here. Um, uh, and if you're indeed uh, actually still listening to this, you know, an hour and a half later, um, that there are dedicated listeners such as yourselves that that tune into our programming, listening to my voice or any one of our, our hosts and guests uh, week after week for over an hour. Uh, wild. So thank you and happy holidays. And that's this week's Finishing Moves. Huge, huge uh, thank you, round of applause uh, for this week's guests, Max Simon of Greenflower Media and Matt Walter of Hedgerow Analysis. Uh, thank you both so much. Uh, really great to spend my Saturday morning with you. Likewise. Thanks so much. Always, always a pleasure. Ben, congratulations. You've done a lot for, for the community throughout this last year in the show. And so I want to echo the appreciation for your contributions. It's been really important and valuable and lots of us have benefited from it. So thank you for everything you've brought to the community through, through the show and through all your work. Thanks, Max. You'll make me cry. <laughs> um, thank you to Shay and the team for their production work. That makes us all sound so darn good. And Overclock Remix for the amazing tunes. Thank you to all of our sponsors for the generosity in keeping our mics and lights on. And of course, thank you, our awesome listeners. Please again, don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes so that other cannabis nerds can tune in and stay current on the latest industry news. Most importantly, Marijuana Nation. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Marijuana Today and that you have a merry marijuana tomorrow. One take, Shay. One take.